Praise the Lord. I want to uh, first just take this opportunity. I would be remiss if I did not um, last uh, this Monday, I believe, Sister Alice Jones celebrated her 94th birthday. Is she here? I didn't even have to ask you to stand. Come on, praise the Lord, somebody. Happy birthday. Praise the Lord. You look very good as well. Thank God for the lamb. Praise the Lord. But they're on the way. She's saying she ordered some books for those who got baptized. She got, she got a gift for you guys today. So we praise the Lord for On her birthday, she got gifts. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. She got gifts for the Avery family. We praise the Lord. On her birthday, she's passing out gifts. And by the way, when you're 94 years old, you can get up in the middle of the service and say whatever you want. I'm just letting y'all know that. Just you. <laughs> ain't, no, ain't no issue here. Everybody's looking at her. No, <laughs> you understand. <laughs> when you turn 94, you can come up here and preach if you want to. And uh, I'd be also be remiss if I did not acknowledge that today is my son Camden's birthday. Happy birthday to him. And uh, I, I do confess as well, saints, that I have been sleeping with one of the ushers. I, I am guilty. And it's my wife, praise the Lord. Happy birthday to my wife, Shanae, as well. Today is her birthday as well. So happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Praise the Lord. Somebody, somebody look real concerned. <laughs> well, I said I was sleeping with one of the ushers. <laughs> My wife is an usher. Okay. The only woman I'm sleeping with. Come on, say amen. And if y'all knew Shanae, if, I, if, if anything like that happened, I would not be here today. <laughs> Oh, man. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Let's get into the word this morning and see what the Lord is going to do. Now, I don't know if we had even made mention of this. Uh, It just is coming to my mind now. But did y'all know that Pastor John Coxum and Leah Etchinson had gotten engaged? Did you know that? Praise the Lord. Did 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 we ever make a public announcement about that in church? Yeah, I mean, I saw this, I saw, I couldn't even barely see her face because that bling on her ring, on her finger. (laughs) Congratulations, amen? Congratulations. Yes, God is good. (laughs) Uh, Love is in the air. Come on, say amen. And we are praying for many children to the glory of God. Yes. Little Little Johns and little Leahs. Uh, who can sing and preach. Yes! Oh. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, saints, let's go to the word today. Y'all know I get silly. And boy, once I get started, it's hard to stop. <laughs> I'll just start scanning the audience, trying to find somebody to pick on. <laughs> Luke 15. Let's go there. Luke chapter 15. And uh, we're going to go to verse 1. I-, I want to, again, remember last week we preached a sermon 
in our series on Jesus full of grace and truth. What is our series, everybody? Full of grace and truth. And I want to I just want to give clarity today. What, what word did I just say, everybody? I don't want anybody to be confused as to what we are saying in this series. Remember, what we're trying to do is we're trying to walk you through the Bible so that you understand what the theme of the Bible is, what the word is all about. Sometimes when we study the scriptures, we we study pieces of scripture, passages of scripture. You'll hear the pastor preach on a story or a subject. But a lot of times we don't understand the full context of what the message of Jesus really is from Genesis to Revelation. And so basically this series is a seven phase series that we are doing and we are essentially studying the story of salvation, which I can sum up in three words. And those three words, if you've been listening to me long enough, you should know by now is God is love. That's the story of the Bible. Uh, If you need help on trying to explain the gospel to a, a friend or a coworker, just tell them those three words. God is love. Everything in the Bible has to do with the love of God. We started with create with pre-creation where we discovered that there was war in heaven. And this war was essentially about Satan trying to cast dispersion upon God's character. Now, please don't misunderstand this, because this is crucial as we get to the next part of our phase. Start looking at the last days in the church. Remember now, the issue is Satan has a he has a standing hit. And contract on God's character. He can't kill God. So all he can do is put a hit on his reputation. And the hit is simply this. That you cannot trust God. He is not a God of love. He hates you. And that's why you're having so much hell in your life. That's the essential message of Satan. Do not trust God. Now, this is important because as we start getting into uh, what many of us call distinctive truths and we get into prophecy and we start talking about the last days, I don't want you to get confused. The issue never changes. The love of God is at stake. That's the issue. And so after pre-creation, Satan, Satan goes on pause for a little while and then God creates, which the next phase is creation. God creates, even though God knows that the creation Human humanity is going to try to kill him and eventually succeed. He creates us anyway. That's not stupidity. That's love. All right. After creation, we run into conflict. Satan is allowed by God because we have freedom of choice to basically tempt his creation. And God is okay with it simply because God doesn't want anybody serving him because they have to. I want to be careful in what I say here. God doesn't just want obedience. He wants a certain kind of obedience. I want to say that again. Sometimes we teach obedience, but we don't teach that God is really more interested in your motivation than he is in your actual act of obedience. Case in point, last week we talked about Nicodemus who could out obey everybody in here. All of you. Not only did he keep the Ten Commandments, he kept all 613 additional commandments attached to the Ten Commandments. And he kept all the commands that had to do with the Sabbath, which there were about 700. Not to mention he could quote uh, Genesis, uh, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy and and, and Numbers. He could quote them verbatim. So uh, remember now, the gospel for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's still the gospel, isn't it? Is that still the gospel? Here's what we tried to make clear to you last week. That was quoted 
to the most religious person in the world. Now, I want to get into this word today. I think we have the assumption that the gospel is evangelistic. Like the gospel is for lost people. The gospel is for those who don't know God. In other words, we've we, we, we grown up now. We don't need the gospel anymore. We, we're moving on to, to deeper truths. The gospel is milk. You know, let the children sing about John 3.16. Uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. That, that, ain't, that ain't for mature saints. Ah, oh, but brothers and sisters, let me help you out on this. When John 3.16 was spoken, it was not spoken out of a vacuum. Which is to say, it wasn't spoken just sort of like for us directly. It was spoken to Nicodemus, who was more religious than anybody in here. The gospel is not just for the lost. The gospel is also for those who think they're saved. Romans 1.16 says this. It says, uh, for I am not ashamed, Paul says, of the gospel. Now watch this. Don't miss this point right here now. I want everybody to get this because the minute you start losing touch with the gospel and keeping the gospel in your face is the minute you become like Nicodemus and you are doing things for God, but you don't really know God. That's my concern in this series. My concern in this series is that we have we have churches full to overflowing all over this country. But Ellen says that not one in 20 in some instances and in other cases, she says not one in 100 is converted. Understand what we are hearing from the prophet is this, that the majority of church people are not born again. That's a, that, is that a problem? How can you share a gospel that hasn't changed your life? Oh, hear, hear me now. Hear me now. Please, please don't leave me on this. I'm telling you, you will not, Pastor, talk or share the gospel if, the, if you have not experienced. That's the word I'm looking for. If you have not experienced the gospel. Many of us understand the gospel, but the gospel has never been experiential in our lives to the extent that it's like fire shut up in your bones and you can't help. But tell, I'm telling you right now, if you have to persuade, cajole, manipulate people to talk about Jesus, I'm going to tell you something right now. They're not saved. Oh, hear me now. Hear me. If you've got to be motivated to talk about Jesus, you have not experienced the gospel. When the gospel hits your life, you can't help it. So really what happens is, is we're, we're, the church is coming in conflict with what our values are. Versus what Christ's values are. Christ looked, Christ looked Nicodemus in his face and said, brother, you ain't saved. You pay tithe, you ain't saved. You at church, you ain't saved. You keep Sabbath, you ain't saved. He says, you, he says people, people look up to you, you ain't saved. The gospel, the Bible says in Romans 1.16, Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is... The power. How many need power in here? Now, now watch this now. The word power there in the Bible is the word dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. Can I break down what God is trying to say to you about? You know what the gospel should do in your life? 
The gospel is supposed to blow stuff up. Y'all not hearing me. If your life ain't getting blown up on a reg, regular, for those who don't understand ur- urban uh, colloquialisms. Understand now, the Bible says, "For I help me everybody, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power of God unto salvation. In other words, God says, my strategy to save you is to blow stuff up in your life. Constantly. Anybody in here know what feel me today? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Seriously. I mean, are you getting stuff blown up in your life? Uh, what I'm talking about is God constantly humbling you. God constantly bringing you back to how much of a failure you are and how you cannot. And I, I want to be clear on this. I don't want you. I want you all to quote me when I say this. Go back and tell everybody I said this. You cannot keep the commandments. If you could keep the commandments, there'd be no need for Jesus. That's right. That's right. The only way, now can I help you out? Because I know some of you are scared about that because your whole life you've been telling folks you got to keep the commandments. Uh, the only way anybody in here is going to keep the commandments is if Jesus gets inside of you and helps you to keep them commandments. Oh, come on and hear somebody. And so the gospel, and so, and so many of us are concerned because here's the issue I want to preach uh, th- this morning that I think some of us. So th- there is this kind of thing with church, especially long established church, that we are really concerned about this next generation that's coming along. Okay. Oh, man. Okay. Watch out, watch out. Yeah, we're concerned. And, you know, it's funny. I came to Sabbath school today and I heard him talk about it. I was like, I can't say nothing because I'm preaching about it. But I don't want y'all to think I'm preaching about it because I heard y'all talking about it. I'm preaching about it because I had planned to preach on it. You know, one lady came to me one time. She said, Pastor, you know, I feel like you're preaching. I think you're attacking me in your sermons. Look, I'm serious. That's the way the Holy Ghost works. You, I'm too dumb. Seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm too dumb to preach stuff that's so targeted to people except the Holy Ghost takes over. I'm, I'm telling you, God's on you. And listen, whatever hits you, oh, it hit me before it hits you. All week long in my study, the Lord is blowing up stuff in my life. And so it, it, the thing is, it's like there's this concern that the church is drifting. Come on, let's, amen. Oh, come on now. Come on, the church is, come on, talk to me now. I'm, I, I'm not setting you up. I just want to talk to you for a second. This is, the church is drifting. We we're leaving the old landmarks of the faith. This young generation, boy, they, I mean, and, this, and, these, and these folk that we work with, it's kind of like whatever you believe, whatever you want to believe, do what you want to do, be who you want to be. And, and look, they will tell you. If you got a problem with it, no, this is a new generation. They got no respect for titles. No, I'm serious. No, listen to me. Am I telling the truth? Anybody? Anybody know that folk don't respect folk like they used to? I ain't setting you up. Some of y'all scared to talk back to me because you know how I preach, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, no, we ain't saying nothing there because he's gonna try to give us. But I'm just being honest. I, I admit it. There was a lack of genuine respect. There is no regard for authority. There's no regard for God. Oh, come on, say amen. Don't be afraid. I mean, I'm telling the truth, am I? There's no regard for God. There's no reverence for church. No reverence for the things of God. And we're concerned about that. We're concerned about the change in the church. We're concerned about the direction because it does not remind us of what we came into and what we were raised into. And so there's almost this echoing cry that there are two extremes in the church. Amen? The first extreme is legalism. Amen. Come on, say amen. Legalism is not biblical. Legalism is the idea that I can somehow help God through rule keeping and law keeping to be saved. How many know that's a lie? That we cannot earn our, our, earn our salvation. Do we all believe that? 
We all believe that. All right, so that's one extreme. Then the other extreme is lawlessness, liberalism. And there's a fear in the church. There's a fear more so for liberalism. And can I tell you what liberalism is? Do whatever you want. I'm doing me. YOLO. You only live once. You know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Am I, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I need y'all to, I, I want to know if I'm talking the truth this morning. Isn't there a concern that you got, you got those who browbeat? Those who make you feel like if you don't eat the right stuff, you're not going to be saved. Uh, if you don't dress a certain way, you're going to be saved. But we all know that salvation is not based on food or clothes. Uh, come on, come on, say amen. Salvation is rooted in Christ. It's rooted in the Lamb, right? But there's another extreme, and we got to be careful of this extreme. And this is an extreme that we can, that, that there's no rules, no laws. Just do just do you. Uh, uh, freelance, yes, yeah, sister. Just take the word as you see it. I don't care what the preacher said. I don't care what the denomination said. And understand this. We're in a generation now. Please don't be afraid of it. But I'm just telling you the reality of what it is. The generation that you are living in right now despises institutional religion and denominations. That's why there's such a plethora of non-denominational churches. Why? Are these folks that have come out of nowhere? No. They left churches to start other churches because they're tired of denominationalism. But I'm going to be honest with you right now. Ain't really no such thing as (laughs) non-denominational. Denominate simply means bottom line. What are your grassroots beliefs? And a lot of these churches are simply just independent of authority. But it is a reaction. So I want to show you. So, so the thought is, is that we got one extreme, which is legalism. We got what, everybody? And then the other extreme is liberalism. We got what, everybody? So we got legalism and what? We got one extreme and the other. And, and that's the common belief. But I want to help you out now. No, we don't. No, we don't. We don't have a problem with liberalism. We don't. The church is not getting worldly. It's been worldly. It, doesn't ju- it didn't just get worldly in 1990. It wasn't, it wasn't non-worldly in the 70s. Can I tell you why? Because legalism and liberalism have both been designed carefully by Satan as attacks in the last days, but they are not really different at all. See, what Satan does is Satan knows this. He says, I put a different label on it. I can get certain people. Oh, y'all not hearing me now. Like some, some, of, some of y'all, if sex is your thing. Yeah, don't say amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For some of you, lying is your thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. For some of you, pride is your thing. For some of you, your mouth is your thing. Now, you ought to say amen on that. because Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? But, but can I tell you something? You can shade and color and paint the names of the sins any color you want. But at the end of the day, guess what? Still sin. <laughs> Satan doesn't too much care how you sin. He just wants you to sin. And that's why we got, pause for a commercial, let's get off the exit, leave the car in idle on the side of the street. We're going to get back in in a second. But that's why we got to be careful not to make our sins not as bad as somebody else's sins. 
Because guess what? If Satan can cause you, remember, the issue for Satan is get them to distrust God. What is sin? Sin is when we distrust God to the extent that we break his commands. Legalism and liberalism are the same thing. What are they, Pastor? It's self-saving projects. So the legalist says, I'm going to save myself by working, by doing, by keeping, by serving. The liberal says, I'm going to save myself by pleasure, by doing what I want. All of it is an attempt to reach some kind of euphoric experience to do what we think is best in our walk instead of letting God be God. And this is why we don't like the gospel. Because the gospel removes control. Now, here goes my next little point here. And so there's also this feeling in the church that if you preach too much grace, I've heard people say to me, Pastor, we, 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 we got to preach grace and law. We got to balance this thing. Because what's the problem, y'all? If you preach too much grace, People will feel they can do whatever they want to do. Brothers and sisters, can I help you today? Preaching grace is another way of saying preaching the gospel. Right? What was our scripture that we looked at earlier? Romans 1.16. For all my Lecrae friends, 116, right? That's what it is, right? That's what y'all didn't even know what it meant. But 116, we hear, it's the Bible. Shut up. You know what it is? Huh? I am not ashamed of the gospel. The reason why our churches are either liberal or legalistic is because we ain't preaching the gospel. We're not living the gospel. We don't understand the gospel. That's the issue. Here's my suggestion. We need to preach more of the gospel. As a matter of fact, Paul would preach the gospel in such a way that they would either consider him both. They would consider him most of the time as being too liberal. I'm going to tell you, if you preach the gospel and grace the way it's supposed to be preached, people ought to accuse you of being too liberal. Because grace as it is, is liberal. You know what liberal means? It means it's just unfiltered unadulterated, uncontained love and blessing on people who don't deserve it. What does the church need? We need to preach the gospel. Oh, come on, uh, come on, come on here, my, my SDA friends. What does Revelation 14, 6 says? It says that we've been called to preach the everlasting gospel. Come on, my friends, Seventh-day Adventist friends. What does Ellen White say? Ellen White says this. She says, the third angel's message, in verity, I'm quoting, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not beasts. It's not the Pope. Hear me now. Hear me on this. It's not the commandments. It's Jesus. And I really believe, and I'm going to say this without fear of contradiction or equivocation, that if I follow Jesus... That I cannot be lost. My, I'm telling you now, we have got to learn to put Christ back. The Bible says in Revelation, the third chapter, as we look down at the end of time and at a church sitting right before the precipice of the coming of the Lord, the Bible says that the problem with the church is that they have put Christ out. For the Bible says that Jesus said himself, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yes, yes, 
promise everybody. Listen, listen, I'm not liberal, conservative, traditional, fundamentalist. I'm biblical. I believe in the word of God. And the Bible tells me that in these last days, the issue with the church will not be worldliness so much as it is moving Christ out of the church. It's worldliness and legalism. All of that stuff is going to hell. All of them are human inventions to move God out of his place and put man as the controlling factor over his destiny. So Luke 15, verse 1, is one of those, if you're going to talk about Jesus, you got to talk about the prodigal son. Man, when that story, when Jesus told that story to the Pharisees, man, you're talking about, by the way, people don't realize this, but between Luke 9 and the last chapter, no, I'm sorry, Luke 15 and the last chapter, that's Jesus' final, don't miss this, look, look at context. These are Jesus' final moments on earth. And he's intentionally saying things to provoke his death. You know what made the Pharisees get to the place where they were ready to kill Jesus? The prodigal son story. <laughs> oh. Now watch the accusation. Now watch the accusation that they make against Jesus in verse 1. It's the same stuff we hear in the church right now. Verse 1, watch this. Verse 1, the Bible says... Uh, hold on, what version is that? ESV? Give me the Holman Christian Standard Version of, of the Bible. HSBC, something like that. Pull that one up there, because that's the one I'm reading out out of my Bible as they're getting ready. So uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> as they're pulling that up, I want you to don't, mi don't miss this point right here. What Jesus is getting ready to do is answer the question that everybody wants to know. Pastor, I, I hear you. I, I know we need to have grace. Uh, let me give you an illustration of this. I'm black. My mom is Southern black from Savannah, Georgia. My daddy is from a little town in North Kakilaki. Everybody don't know what that means. Called Greenville. I'm sorry, no, Farmville, which is not far from Greensboro. All right? Farmville, which is not far from where Pastor Coxham is right now. <laughs> Way out there somewhere. So I got country folk. I want y'all to feel me. I got country folk. In the country, when a kid misbehaves, listen, hear me now. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, my daddy used to call, he had two belts. One was called snake. And the other one, my mom just called the strap. I never shall forget, I don't know what I did. But here was the routine. And for some of you out here who are a little more modern, you ain't going to understand this. And if you're of another persuasion, you really ain't going to get it. You do something wrong. My, mom, my mama said, look, I just broke the You do something wrong. My mama say, take your behind in my room. Pull your pants down. No, 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 why can't you pull them down for me, though? I mean, pull your pants down. Now, what? crazy fool willingly does this except one that is driven by fear pull your pull your pants down and wait till I come in there <laughs> oh y'all don't know nothing about that uh, do you hear what I'm talking about so uh just try not to envision it 
But your boy is laying there, eyes wide open, waiting for impending judgment. Her very footsteps bring terror to the old boy's heart. And my mama would whoop the mess out of me. I want to say something else because that's exactly what the hell did come out every time. Every time. But it came back in. Watch this. Watch this now. Now, look, I'm still black. Don't question my blackness, but I'm just educated now. I'm at, no, please, ain't nothing wrong with that. I read a few books. That don't mean I don't believe in discipline, but I'm learning that spanking don't always work. And this is what, here's the thing I discovered. If you, if you initiate a discipline on somebody to correct behavior and you have to keep using that same strategy, guess what? It ain't working. Oh, see, that bothers me, too, because guess what? I was raised by a country boy from North Carolina and a country girl from, from, from Savannah, Georgia, and we believed in spanking. And I ain't saying right now that I ain't going to spank again. Don't hear me what I'm saying. But what I am saying is I'm realizing that if you... Here's the illustration I'm simply trying to make. It don't got nothing to do with spanking. It has to do with if you simply use a fear and an aggressive tactic to correct the behavior, and if you have to keep using it, that means it ain't working. You missed it. You missed it. Some of y'all don't want to receive it. What, what you're still saying is they still need to have a behind whip. But let me ask you this. What if you used another tactic that corrected behavior so that you would never have to spank again? Some of y'all just like spanking. See, that's your problem. Ah, while you getting your behind whooped at the job, uh, you know you're not supposed to spank in anger. That's sin. Bible says be angry and sin not. Come on, say amen. amen. Right, so listen here. So don't, don't, don't get hung up on the spanking part. I, I, sometimes I, I question even using this illustration with black people because y'all, y'all oh, we ain't, we ain't going to spank no more. I'm still going to spank. <laughs> 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 All right. The issue is not spanking. Here's the thing. If you have to use a corrective intervention and that corrective intervention does not correct the behavior. Let me give you another example. The prison system. So you put people in prison. It's supposed to correct behavior. Talk to me. What is prison for? Prison supposedly is for to restore, to reconstruct, to transform behavior. Just like this sister, uh, what's her name? Uh, Kelly uh, Gissander. Did y'all hear about this sister? Uh, got somebody to kill her husband. And uh, once uh, uh, got her boyfriend, I'm sorry, got her boyfriend to kill her husband in 1992. Was, uh, was prosecuted, found guilty because the boyfriend said that it was all her scheme. He got a lesser sentence. She went to prison. When she got to prison, her life was changed. Jesus came in. She earned a theology degree. She saved several inmates from suicide. Uh, uh, dignitaries and pastors and theologians came into the prison to meet her. The reason why her story is coming to mind right now is because she was supposed to have been executed on January the 1st, but the family and church people and believers all over the world began to pray for her. And this last time, she was supposed to be executed this week as they had her laying there getting ready to kill her with lethal injection. They could not kill her because the solution got cloudy. Now, hold on. So I'm bringing this up for a reason. She went to prison. It worked for her. The argument that people are making is, is the goal of prison is the correct behavior. She is one in a million that happened to have behavior corrected. Why are you still trying to kill her? That's the question I'm asking the church. 
The church is trying to figure out how do we get people to behave? How do we get them to act right? And some of you are going crazy. They didn't do that when I was growing up. I don't like to see folk act like that. I, don't, I can't stand seeing folk behave. I don't like the pants. I don't like the dress. I don't like them laying up and sleeping up and sexing up and watching stuff. And I just don't like it. We've got to preach more doctrine. We've got to preach more law. Basically, we need to spank them. And that's what I've been doing for a greater part of my ministry. Till the gospel got a hold of me. I thought if I wanted to, I got to get my church right. How do you get them right? You tell the truth. You tell them they're in sin. You tell them that they ain't right. You tell them they're going to hell. But then I began to study. I kept reading. And I saw Jesus' methodology. And that was not Jesus' strategy. Jesus' strategy is revealed in the story of the prodigal son. But notice what he's, uh, what he's accused of. Go to verse number two, uh, media team. Go to verse number two. I want you to see this here. It says all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And in verse two, go there, go there. And then the Bible says, and uh, read this, everybody. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Y'all missed it. You know what they're saying? Man, Jesus is hanging with the folk that we tell everybody not to hang with. Jesus is hanging with the scum of society. He's hanging with the folk whose behavior we're trying to correct. He's hanging with the folk that need a whooping. And it's making us look bad because we're telling everybody, don't hang with those people. But he comes here and the Bible says, watch this. The Bible says that he not only welcomes them, accepts them, but eats with them. See, it's deep in Middle Eastern culture. When you eat with somebody, you're basically saying we're family. And I accept you unconditionally. So so the Pharisees, the church, is basically like. We're trying to change these people. Our methodology has been browbeat them, correct their behavior, show them their sin, tell them their laws, and don't even, don't even fellowship with them. Then Jesus comes along. And he's hanging out with them. Eating with them. Uh, seriously, Jesus' reputation started getting so uh, killed. This is what they said about Jesus. They said they called him a wine bibber and a glutton. Why did Jesus drink wine? Was he a glutton? No, he just hung with those folks so much that they began to associate Jesus with that. All my life, I've been told don't hang with the world. I'm saying you, if you keep reading, you'll start. I got to say this. I saw I was watching this new show that's out called the uh, Preachers of Detroit. Boy, they making us look bad. But anyway, there was an argument. There was an argument about a a firmly held denominational idea, and there was a particular lady, Dorinda Clark Cole, who was one of the Clark sisters. And she was arguing with another lady, but the other lady was deep in the word, and she was just reading her up one side and down the other. And so, I, I, so this is what Dorinda said after she could not argue with her scripture for scripture. She said, "Well, that's what I've been taught." That ain't going to get you to heaven, saints. Some of y'all have been taught too much and you ain't never experienced or read for yourself. Ain't nowhere in the Bible where it says that we should not be amongst those that need the gospel. 
When Jesus shows up, he totally rearranges the religious system of that day. And here's the question that the church was asking him. They're like, man, you eating with sinners? That's not how you change them. By being gracious to them. By loving on them. By hanging with them. You don't change people. You, the way you change people and get them to behave is you're going to tell them what they're doing is not right. So the accusation against Jesus should be the accusation against the church. And you know what that is? You're too gracious. You love people too much. You're too tolerant. Too accepting. I mean, y'all just let anybody in here. I mean, y'all, y'all forgiving folk left and right. You're praying for people. I was telling my wife the other day, you know, smell I love. I love the smell of smoking alcohol, especially in the church. Oh, I love it. Love it. Oh, you don't understand when I smell that in the church. It tells me that we're doing the right things. See, we're too busy trying to get folk right instead of teaching folk the gospel. Now, I don't know about you. I'm going to choose a side with Jesus on this argument rather than the Pharisees. Because their argument is, is the problem with Jesus is, is that he hangs with those sinners too much. He's too nice to them. He's too tolerant with them. That ain't how you change people, Jesus. And Jesus said, all right, let me tell you all something. I got three stories to tell you. And you're in all three. The first story, lost sheep. And every story has one thing in common. There's a party. There's a turn up. Seriously, there's a turn up in every story. A sheep, seriously, over a sheep. A sheep gets lost and the shepherd takes responsibility. He says, I'm leaving the 99. They're good. I'm going after one. And that should be the mindset of the church. The church should not kowtow, should not seek to pander to the 90 and 9. Pastor, don't say that. I'm I'm giving you word. What did Jesus say? He said, leave them 90 and 9 and go find some lost folk. What did they do after that? There was a turn up. Jesus said, man, go get all the mother shepherds. We're about to celebrate tonight because one sheep was lost. Then the next story is uh, a story about a little coin. It can't cry for help. It's the responsibility of the owner that lost him. Coin is lost. She sweeps. She looks. I mean, she tears up the house trying to find it. And that's the mindset of the church, especially in our families. Ellen White says that particularly that parable is, uh, is, is directly connected to the families in the church that we have folks like the coin that are lost in the house. And what are we supposed to do with your children? And so the only way many of us know how to reach our children is to talk to them and, and tell them that they ain't right and, and be mad at them because they ain't coming to church. And Jesus said, that's not what you do. And then the last story. And I'm, I'm just about done. I got one point today. Jesus' whole message in Luke 15, and every Bible student or gospel-believing Christian ought to know Luke 15 backwards and forwards because it is the gospel expressed in some of the most beautiful terms. For, for far too long, we have called it the story of the prodigal son. And most of us think prodigal means wayward, lost. But you know what prodigal means? 
It means excessive, wasteful. So the title of my message today is The Real Prodigal. You know who the real prodigal is in Luke 15? It ain't the son, it's the father. See, prodigal doesn't mean lost. Prodigal means excessive. Prodigal means wasteful. You're going to get it in a second. So here you have a son who basically says, I'm getting impatient. He goes to his father and says this, I'm getting impatient with you dying. I want my inheritance. In those days, so you don't understand this because our, our lives are not that interconnected. In those days, there, was, there wasn't money, uh, raw, it didn't, money, there was no money. When he went to his father and said, give me the portion that belongs to me, he was essentially saying, you're taking too long to die. Since you won't die, I want the stuff that I'm supposed to get when you die, I want it now. I want it now. You don't understand. That thing would have upset the entire village. So, so, so what, let me show you what would have to happen in order for that to happen. Y'all need to go talk to some rich folks sometime. If you ever ask rich people, how do you liquidate your money? Look, they got money in offshore accounts. They got money in houses. <laughs> they got money in this and that, in stocks and in bonds. So the only way I can illustrate this to you is just imagine. See, even, even with that, all you have to do is call somebody and say, liquidate my assets. With the push of a button, even now you can make that happen with these bank accounts. But in those days, when he made the request... Give me the portion that belongs to me. He was essentially telling his father, I want the one third of what belongs to me that I'm supposed to get when you're dead. I want it now. And I know that when I take it, it's going to cause you and my brother to suffer. So what was he really asking for? Properties, land, sheep, etc. So the Bible says he took all of this stuff and he sold it as fast as he could. How offensive is that? In his daddy's face, he takes the only possessions that they have for the livelihood of the family. And in his waste and independence and selfishness, he basically tells his father, I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff. Now, everybody knows. See, we don't understand the culture of those days. But the Pharisees, as they're listening to that story, are expecting for the father to say, uh-uh. That would never happen. Understand, when Jesus is telling the story, it shocks the mess out of these guys. They're listening to the story, and they're like, oh, I know what's going to happen here. The father's going to tell him no, and then the father's going to kick him out of the family. Then Jesus totally shifts the paradigm in their mind. And this is what is happening with me right now. And what I pray to God will happen with many of you on how we relate to people who are not doing what we think they should do. We need a mind shift because God is trying to show us that the thing that brings about change in people's lives is not beating them. It's not reminding them of what they've done. It's not always pointing out their issues, but the thing that saves is an excessive, unadulterated, uncontained, limitless love and gospel that goes so far that it's willing to wait until the boy comes home. Now, let me wrap this thing up. Now, here's gonna, this is what's going to blow your mind. Oh, when I saw this, I said, thank you, Jesus. So the boy leaves, and the scriptures makes it clear that he wastes everything fast. We're talking about, and I guess in, in modern 
currency. We're talking about millions of dollars. He wastes in no time. So watch this. He loses everything. Wastes it. Gone. Time to call home now. Right? Right? Wouldn't you say so? The money done ran out. Time to come on. Y'all have seen this before. You've seen this story, right? He doesn't call home. You know why? Because he knows if he calls home that he, he has the risk of being killed. When the village will hear about this disrespect. Look, look, the disrespect we get away with in our, in our black families and stuff right now. You know what I'm saying? That stuff don't go down in the Middle East. It's a shame culture. You must honor, you respect, you bow in submission. If he were to somehow go home after he lost everything, he would, he, he would be killed. So he has a strategy in mind. Don't miss this. Please hear the gospel and hear it well. His strategy is, is I'm going to attach myself. Don't miss this. To a citizen of that country. Isn't that what the story says? And he says, and they're going to teach me how to work. Watch this. I want you to take your Bibles out. I want you to see this. Please don't miss it. I'm getting ready to close. I promise you. I need you to see this, though. I want you to look at Luke 11. And I want you to look specifically at verse 14. Luke 11 and verse 14. I'm sorry, Luke 15 and verse 14. I want you to see this. I've got one crucial point that I want to make. And then next week, I'm going to talk about the older son. Because the older son really is the focus of this entire story. But I want to make one quick point. Can I make this quick point? All right, watch this. In verse 14, the Bible says, after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had what, everybody? He had nothing. Oh, help us, Holy Spirit. I need the saints to pray right now. Please don't miss this. Verse 15. Then he went to work. He went to do what, everybody? He went to work. For one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Y'all still here? Watch this. Are you still here? Uh, The Bible says in verse 16, he longed to eat his fill from the carob pods. The pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. Verse 17, when he came to his senses. Now, here's the problem. Most of us, when we, this whole thing, he came to himself. Brothers and sisters, this ain't repentance. The prodigal son did not repent. Can I tell you what happened with the prodigal son? Everybody all right? We good? All right. I get, you know, I get distracted easy, especially when the whole congregation turns and looks to the left. You know? <laughs> it's okay. I can find a place. I'm using the Bible today. Amen. The Bible says, look there. It says in verse 17, it says, he longed to eat his fill from the carrot pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. Verse 17, he, when he came to his senses, he said, watch, this, watch the speech. How many of my father's hired hands have more what? More than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. Does that sound like repentance to you? No, you know what his issue is? He's hungry. 
This ain't repentance. Everybody preaching this thing talking about he came to himself. I mean, he, he down in the pigsty, he saw his father and how much his father loved him. And he and he repented, I'm sorry, and told the Lord, my, my bad, bro, and he told the Lord, he said, Lord, I'm coming home. Huh? Lord, I'm coming home. I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of my shame. I'm tired of these pigs. I'm tired of these women. I'm coming home. No. He said, I'm hungry. I'm starving. I'm going to die out here. So watch his strategy. The strategy is this. He says, how many of my father's hired hands, listen to that, have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. Verse 18. I will get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. That sounds pretty good. Sounds like repentance, right? Watch this part. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is all basically his way of uh, kissing up to his dad. Telling him what he wants to hear. All right, watch this. You'll see in a second. And say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your what? Make me like one of your... Now, if you're a son, why do you want to be a hired hand? Sons don't do servants' work. True. Don't miss this. You know what he's saying? He's basically saying this. I'm going to give the speech to my dad. I'm going to convince my dad because I'm hungry. And I'm, and I'm a rich kid who's tired of having nothing. So I'm going to convince my dad with a little speech to be nice to me because I've sinned and I found the light. And, 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 and just make me a worker. Why? Why does he want to be a worker instead of a son? Because that's everybody's natural reaction that leaves the church and comes back. The reason why folk ain't in church now, but, and they're planning, they're planning to come back. But what they're saying to themselves is, is I need to get myself together. Have you noticed that when somebody is like way out in the world, when they come in the church, they have a tendency to be ultra extreme on the other end? Some of y'all still like that. Some of y'all, look, some of y'all, some of y'all got gray hair in your head, but you was a mess back in the day. And you don't even believe that you've forgiven of your sins. That's why you're trying so hard to, to get God's approval by the stuff you're doing. And guess what? It ain't working. Some of you had abortions 50 years ago, still ain't give, give that thing to the Lord. And you're still being super religious because you think that if I'm religious, God's going to be pleased with me. But remember, God ain't pleased with folk because they're good or bad. God's pleased with folk because he loves them and that's his character. You don't have to earn nothing from God. What the boy is saying is, is I'm going to go back and I want my dad to teach me how to work so I can be independent and move out again. So when the boy is going home, I want you to get the picture now. He's on his way home. He has nothing. He's destitute, but he's got a scheme. He's got a plan. He's got a strategy to work his way back into his daddy's graces. But let me tell you something now. In his mind, he's expecting, he's ready to share his story. He's not even expecting his father to meet him out there because according to the culture, when a boy had been missing like that and decided to return home, the first person to see him would not be his father. 
It would be one of the servants to make sure he was cleaned up first before he went into his father. Y'all not hearing me now. And this is the mindset that so many lost people have. So many folks in the church and out of the church that say to themselves, before I come back, I got to get myself together. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Holy Spirit, break the curse of legalism in the house of God today. He's saying, I'm going to go back and I'm going to work my way back in. But look how his mind is blown when as he's making that journey back and the first person he sees is his father running. Do you know in that culture, men never run? It's a sign of humiliation. It's a sign of disrespect and dishonor. When the Bible says he takes off running, I want you to see this man, this distinguished man, this father. And the only way that he would have known to go out and see his son is if every day he in his suffering would walk out and look for his son. Do I have a church in here that is looking out for the prodigals to come home? Oh, I can't get no help in here now. God raised up a church in Glenville where we're not looking for us to come back. But we're, oh, y'all not hearing me now. You're going to get with me today. But we're looking for prodigal sons and daughters to come back. Every day the father is looking. Every day the father is anxiously waiting. And while the son sees the father, he's trying to muster up strength to remember the speech that he wants to give to his father. And I want you to watch what he says. Watch this here. The Bible says, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. The Bible says in verse, uh, where are we at? Verse, verse 20. The Bible says, so he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The Bible goes on, go on to the next verse, uh, sweetheart. The Bible then says, the son said to him, now watch the son, he's ready to give his speech because he ain't converted yet. I'm going to show you what converts him. He's ready, he's not converted yet, so he's ready to give his speech. So he says, the son said to the father, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Go to verse, next verse, verse 22. But the father cut him off. Y'all not saying this. He, 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 was, he was getting ready to get to the part where he would say, now, dad, I want to work for everything that I took from you. But the father said, shut your mouth. Uh, you couldn't pay me back if you wanted to. Uh, you couldn't work your way back in my good graces if you wanted to. The reason why is because I never stopped loving you. Hallelujah. I never stopped calling you my son. When everybody else disowns you, I was here waiting in the midnight hour. I couldn't sleep because you were missing. But I was waiting on you to come home and not shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. I don't want you to say another word because you might mess this up. I don't want to hear your speech. I don't want to hear what you're going to do for me. I don't want to hear how much time you're going to pay me back with. I don't want to hear how many days you done came to church. What I want you to know right now is that I love you. What I, hey, 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 matter of fact, 
Somebody go get my robe. He doesn't need a shower because I don't want him to assume that he has to get clean in order for me to accept him. Put a robe on him now. Put a robe on his nasty, dirty, harlot smelling behind. Cover him right now. What robe should we put on him, Master? Put on him my robe. Cover him with my robe so that as he makes his way back home and the villagers see him, they won't stone him because they'll say he's back. He's not coming back as a slave. He's coming back as a son. Oh, y'all not hearing me here today. What The gospel is so good news. It's such good news because what God is saying is, is he's saying you don't have to get yourself together. You couldn't if you wanted to. And oh no, watch this. This is going to really shake some of you up. You don't even need to repent. Lie number three that's told in the church. Now, I know we tell folk all the time, since, since we high, if Jesus is going to forgive your sins, you better repent. The message we're sending them is, is if God is going to love on you, you better fix your problems. Can I show you something? Can I show you something? I want you to look at a text in Romans. My last scripture. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. See, what happened is, the boy didn't repent, did he? He had a scheme. But when his father loved him, it broke him. What was, what, the question was this. How can we change? Anybody, anybody concerned about anybody's behavior in here? Anybody concerned about anybody's behavior? Can I tell you how it changes? The first thing is, is you need to be concerned about your behavior first. No you're, not, no, you're not clubbing. No, you're not drinking. But your heart is not right. Romans 2 and verse 4. Watch this. Look at this text. It says, or do you despise the riches of his what, everybody? Restra- Thank you for ignoring that siren. I like, I like how you're staying folk. Yeah, somebody wants this, huh? Somebody wants this word. It says, or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience? Now, here it is. Not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you. Okay. I don't have time to get happy. We got to baptize. What changes behavior? The kindness of God. The kindness of God. Your head's about. The prodigal's life was changed when his father got prodigal on him. He started blessing him and he didn't deserve it. He put his robe of righteousness on him to cover his filth and his nakedness. Brothers and sisters, that is the gospel. The gospel is, is the way that people behave right is not telling them what to do, but talking about what God has done. 
See, we've got to stop focusing so much on what we're going to do for God and focus more on what God is doing for us. I said something there. The reason why many of us keep failing over and over and over again in the same sins time after time after time again is because you're so preoccupied with trying to do stuff to please God that you have not spent enough time thinking about all the stuff that God has done in you. What does the church need to do? The church needs to stop talking so much about what people need to do. And the church needs to spend more time talking about what God has done. That's what changes people's behavior. What are you saying, pastor? It's grace. It's grace. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. I've seen this at work. I remember the first time I realized I had to go bald. Talking about my haircut. I mean, I'm a barber. Been cutting for what? 20 some years now. Earned my way through school that way, didn't I, Garley? So I'm into keeping my hair fresh. The day I start seeing my hairline go further and further back, I said, Jesus, Lord, you know, at least give me a beard, but I can't grow no facial hair. So I'm just like, no hair, no eyebrows, nothing, you know. (laughs) And then my wife, she don't even know she said this. She walked up to me. Garvey, don't take this the wrong way. She said, Ooh, babe, I love your hair like that. Oh, my, 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 my. Your boy went out, got some razors. Every, twice a week. Now, if my wife had said, Ew. Look at your forehead. You know what I've been doing? I've been putting some Beijing on there. Everybody don't know that. You know what I'm talking about. That Beijing. I'd have been painting in a hairline. Like some of y'all in here. I ain't going to look at you. Huh? I'd have, been, I'd have had a comb over. Y'all not hearing me now. I'd have had a pull up. But look, watch this now. See, I would have tried to hide my condition. But the minute she graced my cut, I want to please her. I want it to be crisp and clean for her. Because grace changes behavior, not telling somebody how jacked up they are. Y'all don't believe it. We've got to change our entire mindset as a people. We've got to change our entire mindset as a church. The reason why so many prodigals have not come home is because we ain't waiting on them. And they, just like the prodigal son, know that there's not going to be no shock when they get here. There's not going to be no shock of love. There's going to be the shock of where you been. What speech do I need to give? I think we need to shock some folk. First person you need to shock is yourself. God has already forgiven you. I need you now to accept his forgiveness. The only way you're going to repent and be a good person is if God is kind to you. How many want God to just be kind to you? To just bless you and just to grace on you and to just love on you and to just do in you what you cannot do in yourself. Have I got anybody in here right now that knows that you can't figure it out? You you can't live right. You, You keep screwing up over and over again. I'm sorry. I don't know the way to say it. 
Anybody feeling me here today? You keep doing the same stuff over and over and over again. And you're saying, God, I'm doing your will. God, I'm serving you. Why am I not changing? And God says, I need you to accept not something that you don't have. I need you to accept something you already have. Who believes the word of God? I want you to stand right now. Do you believe? Is there somebody here today? Is there somebody here today? And you need to come to the Father and receive His grace in your life. Whether you've been in the church, out of the church, I don't care where you are, but if you need some grace, if you realize that you're still a prodigal son, that you still don't do it the right way, that you still need grace in your life, that you know that there's no power in you to do anything, there's nothing good in you. Paul says, the things I want to do, I find myself, I, I can't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Does anybody need the gospel in their lives? I want you to come right now. If anybody wants to be a gospel-believing Christian, the gospel that, that you can believe, <laughs> The, the gospel is so powerful that it can eliminate depression. How can you be depressed when you know God loves you? But see, many of us only know that intellectually. We don't know that spiritually. We don't know that experientially. And so what I'm saying to you today is you need to have an experience with the Lord Jesus. Come, come, my brothers and sisters, those that need grace today. You need to believe that grace is better than what you first believed. The prodigal son showed us that I could even go home when I didn't repent. <laughs> I can go home when I'm not even right. And when I get there, the love of the Father is going to be so strong in my heart and in my mind that then I will repent because it's God's kindness that makes me a good boy. It's God's kindness that makes me tell the truth. It's God's kindness that keeps me off the computer late at night. It's God's kindness that keeps me from putting my hands on my spouse. It's God's kindness that keeps me from lying and stealing and chilling. It's the grace of God that changes lives. Does anybody need some grace in your life? Come on, flood in here. Don't be afraid. The Father welcomes you today. The Father says, come on. He said, I don't want you hesitating. Somebody needs to get up out of their seat and run like the prodigal son did and say, I got to get here because I need some grace in my life. I need to know that no matter what I've done, I serve a God that is so concerned about me. That he loves me in my filth. He loves me in my, in my stench. Somebody, somebody did something last night and you, and you brought up the church with you today. I got, I got news for you today. The father got his arms open. Come on and hear somebody. Hello. 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 You can ask my wife. The only thing, that, only thing I can talk about is the gospel. The only thing I can think about is his love. It is the kindness of God. Titus tells us in the second chapter. He says, it is the grace of God that causes us to live holy. Y'all didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. The reason why many of us can't shake stuff, the reason why some of your sons and daughters have not come back to Christ and to church, I'm going to tell you very quickly, they didn't experience the gospel. It's the gospel that's going to save them. Folks come up to me all the time. I travel a lot. And when I preach, folks say, Pastor, I wish you would have said this in your sermon because I wanted my son to hear you deal with his sin problem. And I say, my sister, my sister, 
I've heard folks talk about, Pastor, uh, I wish my husband was here to hear this. Are you crazy? You really think God needs your husband to hear my sermon in order for him to experience the gospel? Do y'all not know that God is everywhere? There's some folk that y'all want to be in here so bad right now. But can I get that to in prison? Guess what? God can get to him. Come on in the crack house. God will get to him. Y'all don't believe that. I'm telling you what the gospel can do. God, God can get with them right now and they can be sleeping with somebody else. In the, they're in the wrong bedroom. But the Holy Ghost will hey, the Holy Ghost will show up in the wrong bedroom and the Holy Ghost will tell them, I still love you. Oh, why can't I get nobody to shout back to me when I talk about the unconditional love of God? When God gets all in your mess and gets all in your sin and gets all in your drama. <laughs> yes, Lord. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in here? How many want a Savior that's willing to get his hands dirty? That's willing to get roll up his sleeves and, and get down in the muck and the mire of your wretched life? I forgot somebody here today that wants to be baptized. You want to give your life to Jesus. I want you to lift your hand right now. Raise your hand. God bless you, sister. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise. God. Praise. Hey! The Bible says that when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. Somebody ought to open up that. all in here. Somebody open up their mouth. Throw your head back and give them a prayer. Is there somebody else in here? You're tired of sin. You're tired of the lies of Satan. But now you realize that God is not mad at you. But God is madly in love with you. somebody else that wants to be baptized who says I'm tired of living in this mess I'm hungry and I want to go home raise your hand right now is there somebody else raise your hand If I were you, I'd be praying because Hallelujah. Satan has his grip so tight on somebody. And the only way that his grip will loosen is if you begin to storm the throne of heaven and tell God in the name of Jesus, Father, set them free from the power of the enemy in the name. Is there somebody else right now that is tired of sin, that's tired of your life? that's tired of drama, that's tired of yourself, and you want to be free, you're saying, baptize me. I need a change in my life. Raise your hand. Ten. Nine. Eight. Just lift your hand right now. Seven. Just raise your hand if you need the Lord in your life right now. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. All I'm saying is, is that no matter where you are, God can reach you. The Bible says his ear is not too heavy, he can't hear. The Bible says his arm ain't too short that he cannot reach down, deep down, way down, all the way down and pull you up. 
How many need the Lord to just pull you up and you want to be baptized? Raise your hand. Five. Four. Three. God bless you. God bless you, my dear sister. God bless you. I see your hand. Two. One. Oh, Father God, we worship you right now. We thank you, Lord. See, salvation. Hear me. I want everyone to hear me right now. I don't want the enemy to get in some of your hearts right now and miss what God is doing. See, God ain't going to work the way you want him to work. God is going to save people in whatever way he can. And he does not and he does not need your permission. There are people that want to be free. There are people that want to be delivered. But they believe in their heart that God is mad at them, that God is frustrated with them, that God is growing impatient with them. But, but the Bible says this, where sin abounds, wow. Grace doth much. Brothers, I told you we need more grace. How many need more of God's grace in your life? Just lift your hands. Holy Spirit, right now, we lift our hands to you. We need grace. We need grace, God. We need grace. It's grace. For the law condemns. The law simply reminds us that we need grace. The law is an indicator of where to find Jesus. He's up there on a cross. With his arms stretched out wide. And his cry is, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And even now, he's interceding on your behalf. When you can't pray, God's still praying. Oh, come on, bless his name. When you, when you, have, when you, have, when you can't even find the strength to say Jesus, Jesus is calling your name. And, and, and I got better news for you than that. He's coming again. He is coming again. Why? Not simply just to rain down judgment and terror, but he's coming to get folk that he's been longing to be with. He wants to be with you. He wants to love on you. He's tired of the separation. He wants, you to, he wants to take you to live with him forever and ever and ever. How many love him with your whole heart right now? How many, of you, how many of you can say, I'm just in love with a Jesus? I just love Jesus. I love his love, his kindness. What a mighty God we serve. Bless your heart. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. You may return to your seats, those that have come. Oh, praise God. We're asking our elders and Bible workers to assist us. Praise the Lord. You got them. Praise God. Praise God.